Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Michael Hodgen, owner of Maestro's Toolbox. A full understanding and review of your company's financials is a practice that requires a disciplined effort. With this practice in place, over time, an owner will be able to use the information to pivot when necessary to be more profitable year over year. Michael is here to explain how to create a predictable process for reviewing financials, and we'll hear all about it in just a minute. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Hi, I'm Victoria Dowding, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Rari. Good afternoon. How are you? Pretty good. Good. Feeling kind of high energy today? I'm always high energy. Ah, okay, good. Glad to know that. I'll remind <laughs> myself of that once in a while. So today we have one of my favorite topics. Guess what that is? Uh, financials. Numbers. <laughs> the numbers that drive the direction of the business. You know, it's just uh, such an important piece. And once people start to really understand the importance, they grow to love it as much as I do. Well, maybe not quite as much as I do. But yeah, I don't know. But close. it's very important. Yes. You got to learn to love it if you're not going to love it. That's right. Or find somebody else that you trust to love it with you. 100%. Okay. So shall we dive in? Sure, jump in. Okay, Michael Hodgen is he he was the owner of a successful remodeling company for over 22 years. So he knows what goes on in these remodeling companies. He's since left and as Mark said, he's the owner of Maestro's Toolbox where he works with owners of design build companies across the country to help them build better companies and therefore better lives. Michael, when he was a remodeler, was a part of our Remodelers Advantage Roundtable program, and now he is one of our most popular facilitators of that program. And he's also a part of the Remodelers Advantage business coaching team. Welcome, Michael. Hello. Oh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> I was wondering if you were there for a minute. Thought I lost you. So hey, thanks for taking the time, buddy. Right here. All right, cool. So we're going to talk yeah, about financials good. today a bit, eh? That is it might be your favorite subject, but I think I might love it more than you. I don't really love it more than me. Ah. I, um, I just love digging in and, and working with companies and um, looking at the puzzle piece and, and helping them uh, not only just better understand it, but what to do with the understanding. Yeah. So I think you sort of follow my philosophy that the, the numbers tell the story and almost tells you what you need to do next once they're laid out clearly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> okay, great. Hold on, pause. I, I just I think that there's a delay. So you're just going to have to wait. Okay. All right. Do you think there's a delay, Michael? Yeah, there's a delay on my end, and I'm not sure because I've had three Zoom meetings this morning and I haven't had any, so I'm not sure what's what's happening, but I do have a delay as well. All right, so I'll um, just work with it. So, Michael, why do you feel it's so important to review financials on a predictable schedule? Well, um, just thinking about the last dozen uh, facilitation meetings that I've run, Every time I ask an owner if they review their financials, most of them will say yes. But then when I ask them how they do it, um, kind of find that people who don't do it in a disciplined manner don't have as good of results. So um, I've been telling this story to 
to the groups of um, when I met my uncle, I married into a, a large family and uh, he's a chemist and he worked for a plywood factory. And I said, what's his job? And he said, well, I, I handle the glue. And I thought to myself, well, how, how can that be a full-time job? Don't you just get the recipe for the glue and then the plywood goes together? And he said, no, absolutely not. The, all the factors are always changing. The density of the wood, the moisture content in the wood, the ambient air temperature, mm. the moisture content in the air. And then you have the chemicals and the ingredients that go into it. And sometimes uh, products are available and not. Sometimes the pur- purity of those chemicals can be different. Um, and then you have price point. Sometimes your preferred product goes up in price. And now you need to find a different product to receive, you know, re- to get the same result at a more economic level. And, you know, using that metaphor in our industry, the, the balance sheet and the profit and loss statement, all that data in there is the recipe of our business. And mm-hmm. the net income and the retained earnings is kind of the, the product. So uh, it's not a static, those ingredients are not static. And if you're not constantly looking at all of them, measuring them, analyzing them and changing them, um, the same thing that would happen with a sheet of plywood that goes out and starts to delaminate. It looks good when it goes out the door, but um, if you're not monitoring all that stuff, you might end up with an undesired result that you don't know is undesirable until it's too late and you can't do anything about it. That's a great story. So what do you think when you're reviewing financials in your disciplined manner, how do you go about it? What are Mm -hmm. the first things you look at? So for the first step is to um, set a process so that there is a predictable time of the month that um, that meeting is set. So at the beginning of the year, there's 12 financial reviews. Um, and I always set the quarterly ones to be a little bit longer and the, the last one to be the longest. But those are all on the calendar and they happen like clockwork. Mm-hmm. So what date that happens, what day of the month, if it's the second Monday, if it's the, um, in our case, we we use the 20th of the month because we closed the books from the previous month and it was the 20th of the month. And if that landed on a holiday or a weekend, it would be the next day. So it, it really doesn't matter when you do it, but that you put it on the calendar and nothing else comes in the way of this meeting. Everything else gets pushed because you've set, a, you've set this time as the time to review with all the players that you choose to have that review. Well, let's jump to that for a second. Who should be at this review with you? That's a good question. And I think uh, as a company develops, it can, um, it can change. And then there's also some philosophy behind it that might be polarizing. So my theory is that, um, you know, as you're starting out, it should always be the owner and it should be if you have one person that does accounts receivable and accounts payable, then that'd be that person. If there's different people that do accounts payable and accounts receivable, you have both of them there. Um, and um, my personal preference is to have the production manager and the estimator at those meetings. Uh-huh. And I've talked to owners and they say, well, gosh, if we teach our production manager and our estimator all of all this stuff, what would prevent them from, you know, taking this and saying, hey, we could we could do this on our own and start in their own business. But um, my thought, if, if all the players that are responsible for the different parts of, you know, the business recipe are there, <clears throat> not only do they have a better understanding of the company and what their gear, you know, what, you know, their gear in the machine that goes down the road, mm-hmm. and if they don't understand 
how they play a role in that um, will be less successful. The more that they understand, the more that everybody will be rowing in the same direction. And um, the added benefit, I think, of this is what I found was that when I learned all this stuff, I thought I had it down. And when I brought my production manager in and I had to teach him, um, you know, early on, I found where he was asking questions, I if I could answer them very articulately, then I knew it inside and out. And mm-hmm. I couldn't answer the questions he was asking. I realized where there was opportunity for me to have a better understanding. So you know, I think most people are familiar with the adage that if you can teach somebody how to do something, yeah. you actually know it better than just thinking you understand it. Right. You know, I totally agree with you about having about having, I, I totally agree with you about having the production manager and the estimator part of this review process. They've got, they're handling and, and responsible for so much of the money that goes through the company. Again, I'm with you. The more they know, the better it's going to be for the company. And actually, the more they know about how challenging it is to run a small business, the less likely they probably are to go out on their own. That is exactly my theory as well. <laughs> so It sounds easy, but it's actually more difficult and uh, there's actually a better chance that they stick around because they know what they can do to affect the profit, which then affects their um, pay, their bonus, right? Whatever, whatever you want to put into place to incentivize. So let's talk a little bit about the specific reports that you review and how you go about it. What do you look at first, second, and third? What do you feel are the most important KPIs? Yeah, great. I'm going to go on the assumption that that everybody is using the accrual system and they use a work in progress um, uh, spreadsheet or some process in which they can understand how much money they've earned versus how much they've um, collected. Mm-hmm. So um, that's actually where I start because I want to first make sure that all the mechanics of the reporting is happening happening properly because Mm -hmm. there's the mechanics of it and how it works and then there's the data and whether it's accurate so my first step is looking at that work in progress um, looking at the overbillings and underbillings and making sure that those are showing up on the balance sheet where they belong Mm -hmm. and then cross-referencing that against the the work in progress adjustment that's on the P&L Right, And I want to first and foremost, make sure that those things are in place, because if they're not, all the reports are off and what you're looking at doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. From there, I want to look at the balance sheet and I want to look at the assets and the liabilities um, at different times in somebody's company. They might be skirting the edge of being in a, in a cash poor position and their quick ratio might want to be looked at a little bit closer healthier companies might not need to focus on that much, or they might need to focus on, hey, we have too much cash on hand. We need to make some decisions about it. Mm -hmm. We want to look and make sure that we're not having any um, outstanding monies that aren't being collected. Right. Um, We want to basically review the health of the company, and then we want to compare it to last year's numbers. So why is that important? To, to compare it to last year's numbers? So the, the first reason that comes to mind is that every year I want my company to be more valuable than the year before. So mm-hmm. on a monthly basis, I'm looking at what's happening with my balance sheet. I'm making sure that things are tracking in the right direction. And if they're not tracking in the right direction, I need to find out right away. Um, is the owner taking too many draws out of the company? Uh, are, is the company uh, creating too many assets? 
buying too many assets and then selling assets at, at losses that is, you know, draining the company of, of retained earnings. Um, but the balance sheet is, tells you the overall health of the company and you want to see the progression that from month over month and year over year that you're tracking in the right, right. You're going in the right direction so that you can make adjustments if you need to. Okay. Okay, so then what? After you looked at the balance sheet, you've looked at the accounts receivable, accounts payables, current ratios, um, the adjustments for the WIP. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then I start with the um, the P and L, the income statement, and look at the different revenue streams. Mm-hmm. So I want to look at this in a few different ways. One, I want to look at from year to date, so from year to the last end of the day of the month that you're reviewing. Mm-hmm. I also want to look at it as just the month. So comparison from that month of whatever month you're in to, to last year's. Um, and then I want to look at it from a standpoint of what we were, what did we budget for compared to what happened? Mm-hmm. So you want to be looking at all three of those. And I like to start with the money that's coming in the door to see how we're doing and how we're tracking. Um, so if our design work, income is as declined and we have a, a usual gap of six months from when we get into design to when we start taking construction income, that's going to tell us a story about what's happening down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all of these metrics, you can drill at the first layer and then you could drill to the next and the next. So with my design income, I wanted to drill down to have how many designers that I had, how many hours were possible and how many were billable. Mm-hmm. So I'm tracking that design income as a number, but I'm also drilling down saying, hey, if we have unbillable hours in design, is it because we need to sell more work? Is it because we're not being productive? Like, what is what is the reason? And if you make this a practice and year over year to where you get your recipe dialed, when you see a number that is outside the mean average, <laughs> it should flag right, and then tell you, we need to look at this closer. Mm-hmm. And if you if it flags as a problem, then you need to look at it closer. Then you can make some adjustments. If it's within the mean, then you don't actually have to focus too much on it. You can go for the next one. So a quick question, Michael. Do you have a percent in mind of how many hours of your designer's time should be billable? Hmm. Um. Do I have that's an interesting question because I've talked to some people about it and uh you know my engineer for instance said the the answer is a hundred percent a single hour that's not billable. Um in my case, what I did is um like a lot of design build companies, when you start out, your design might be a loss leader. And mm-hmm. then at some point you say, geez, I'm providing value. I've got to at least break even, and then it becomes a break-even equation. And then at some point you say, geez, not only are we providing value, we're providing exceptional value. This needs to be a revenue stream. Mm-hmm. So obviously as a business person that likes to play the game and win, I want that to be as many billable hours as possible as a revenue stream. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a, a, a scorecard that that we created with our designer to month over month report on how many hours were worked and how many were billable. Um, with some incentivizing for having more billable hours and tracking that and then making sure that um, if we wanted to make, you know, X margin on our our production and if we wanted to make that same margin on our design, 
Mm-hmm. This is how many hours needed to be billed with the labor burden of that of that person or that team to make it work. Right, so right. That percentage is going to be different from company to company depending on what their market will bear. Right. Um, but in general, uh, from an aggregate level, I wanted that to be between eight and twelve percent of the my design income wanted to be between eight and twelve percent of my construction income. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Okay, so you're going through the P and L. What are you? So what are you looking at there? You talked a little bit about revenue streams. Do you mm-hmm. do anything more? I mean, you talked about the design revenue stream. Do you get into depth and in some of the others as well? Um, you know, with the construction revenue stream, um, when you look at it over the year, it paints a picture. But when you look at it by the month, it paints a different picture. So every state has different rules about how you can collect deposits and how you can collect money. But um, what I like to do is look at that and stabilize that as much as possible. So if I had six jobs going, I wouldn't want them all to pay out on the first week of the next month and then have some jobs close out early. So I would stagger the um, the payment schedules so we would get consistent as possible income throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And again, like dialing in that recipe. So then that's a feedback loop to say, Hey, if we're if we have uh, our estimator and our contract writer, um, if we have jobs that are coming up, what do we want the contracts to say in terms of payment, the balance, the the cash flow of the money coming in? And if you look at it on a monthly basis and you set a you set a budget to that, you can look at the actual for the budgeted mm-hmm. and, and bring some stability there to your cash flow. All right, great. So again, if it's if it's within means, you look at it and you move on. And if it's outside of means, what do we have to do? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Good. Do you also look at produced revenue per month to, you know, to say, okay, we, you know, it's, it's skewed. We know it varies from month to month, but now we need to really ramp up at the latter part of the year. Of course, if you're not meeting your budget and that sort of thing, do you keep an eye on, Hey, don't tell me you're too busy. We are producing less this month than we did last. We do you use some of the numbers that way. Um, I do, but um, not actually as the income coming in. I would drop down to the cost of goods sold, and I would be okay. looking at um, the subcontractor, trade partner, um, uh, cost of goods compared to the in-house, uh, you know, field labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I would separate it out is because um, in the flow of production, um, and again, every company is different, but if, if you do a lot of site work, you might have a significant amount of dollars coming in where you don't have a lot of in-field labor, very minimal management with a lot of dollars coming in. Mm-hmm. But if you have you know, a certain number of field employees that are running around doing something, then that's what you want to look at and, and create some metrics that shows you what is your in um in-house labor producing, which is more valuable than looking at it on the aggregate. Right. Okay, great. All right. So what's next? Uh, well, next is the, uh, the infamous indirect direct allocation, which right. um, <laughs> can, can make or break. If you do a lot of, in, you know, if you self-perform a lot of work, that indirect direct um, allocation can make or break you. And if you understand that um, and can measure that, you're in good shape. And if you, you can't, then um, you're Learn not going to be able to predict your recipe. So that's, a yes. Um, and this is a place where I have my production manager in the mix because, um, you know, 
to just to give the overview to the listeners, you have your cost of goods sold. That's anything you do because you have a job. And then you have your expenses, which is anything you do because you have a company. And then you have the indirect direct expenses is everything that you can't bill to a particular job, but they're expenses you have because you have jobs, not because you have a company. So, so what, what are some of those categories or what are some of those line items? Yeah, so um, you have uh, anything that relates to the cost of having an employee. So their health insurance, their you know, general liability insurance, the, the gas that they use, the vehicles that they drive, the maintenance for those vehicles, the small tools that you have to purchase for them to get the work done, um, the safety meetings, the OSHA safety meetings, the internal meetings, warranty work. Um, uh, I, I kind of think of it as the, the equalizer to um, compare what it costs you to have employees versus trade partners, because uh-huh. um, if you want to analyze in your market, if, is it financially beneficial to use trade partners or employees? You need to think of anything that you spend because you have an employee and add right. that into the cost of your employee so that you can understand your cost. And can you buy that in your market for less with an independent contractor? Uh-huh. There's more that goes into it, but um, that bucket of indirect direct allocation um, needs to be looked at. So because those are in, in-house labor, the production manager is responsible for all those people. So he's or she is at that meeting and they're looking at the line items for the year compared to the budget, but then monthly. And when you look at a monthly, you can look at certain items and, and find if mistakes are being made or if something's out of whack. So if you spend a certain amount of money on gas every month and all of a sudden it goes up $300, production managers there to look and, and explain why that is. There might yeah. be a reasonable explanation, or it might be that somebody actually accidentally used the company card to fill up their, you know, personal vehicle. Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it could be that, you know, our rules for going to get supplies and materials would change in the last week of a project when you wanted it done. So there was a lot more commuting in that last week. Well, if we had three jobs that were all ending at the same, right. you know, end of the same month, we might end up with a lot more, gas expense and then the production manager says well that's why that's outside of its means we don't mm-hmm. need to look at it or mm-hmm. if small tools is out of whack and it's like well yeah but remember the truck got broken into and we lost a few hundred dollars worth of tools we have uh, to replace them mm-hmm. again you're just looking at it to to make sure it's within a mean of what your recipe business recipe is so you can get the predictable um result but if something's out of its mean, you want all the players there to look into it and find out why is it out. If you can explain why it's out, then you move on. And if you can't explain why it's out, you need to dig a little deeper and find out why. Or you need to change your business recipe. Right, right. You know, I, we've, we've talked about a lot of different parts of the financial review. Is there anything else that you, we haven't talked about yet in that? Well, my favorite part, the net profit. Yes, yes, for sure, right? Yeah, so, you know, to, to look at the net profit, you have to look at the cost of goods sold and, and your overhead. And then why we were talking about indirect direct expenses, because when you move stuff from below the line, above the line, your cost of goods goes up, but your overhead goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And my personal philosophy is move everything above the line as much as possible and keep your overhead accurate to what it has actually cost you to run the the business. And then you want to keep a really good eye on those numbers where from year to year, from month to month, what is your gross profit percentage and what is your overhead? Um, and then cross-referencing that against the jobs that you've completed and how you've done your job costing and your work in progress and making sure that all those percentages are staying stable and are, again, within some mean value that you've set, whether it's 2% or 1% or you have a new team and you want to give a little more room and it's 3 or 4%, but that you're tracking it and looking at it and seeing how you need to uh, tweak your recipe to get your desired net profit. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions for you, things that always come up when I'm talking to remodelers as well. So what is your philosophy about how much an owner should be paid and where should that show up on these reports? Yeah, my philosophy on that is based, again, by setting a really clear business recipe of what this business is going to bring the company and the owner. So in my company, I set up a recipe that would give me 10% for me as the owner year over year. And I wanted the company to have a 10% profit as well. Um, you know, that was a stretch goal. Didn't always happen. Sometimes we got close. Sometimes we got there, but then I gave bonuses, which minimized that. Um, so what I wanted to do is I paid myself on the profit and loss with all the hats that I was wearing. So when I was still doing production management, I got paid a certain amount for production management. Mm -hmm. I got paid as a salesperson. I got paid as a CFO. Um, and then I got paid as the owner of the company that would draw money from the company. And that would land um, during the year while I was analyzing it would land. just kind of remodels advantage best practices that you would see that on your profit and loss. Mm -hmm throughout the course of the year, and then you move it to your balance sheet at the end of the year where it belongs for uh, tax purposes. Right. But I would look at that every month and I would make sure that I was not with the way that I was being paid and the different hats that I was wearing, plus my owner's draw, that that was never more than 10%. Okay. All right. Because if I knew that my business recipe could produce that, I didn't want to take more than that. If, you're, if your particular company's business recipe has a track history of, you know, having it be 6% or 8% or four, whatever that percentage is, mm -hmm. then don't take more out of the company than you predictably and historically have earned because that's where we find out that our retained earnings go down year over year because right. more money than, <clears throat> than the company is making. Right. Okay, good. All right. So what is your philosophy on uh, sales commissions above or below the line? I uh, I said a little earlier, everything I could push above the line, I would push above the line. So sales commissions, I would definitely push above the line um, and have it be a line item in the estimate that goes out and a cost of goods sold so that when it gets paid out, it's, it's part of the cost. Um, again, if you think about a cost that is associated because we have a job, not because we have a business. Um, because we had that job, we had to pay a salesperson for that mm -hmm. because they had to be paid for that job. It becomes a job expense. And when it's put into the estimate, it gets marked up along with all the other things if you're doing across the board markup. 
if that's your that's my suggested strategy sometimes people don't do that but if they don't then they have to adjust their business recipe to make up for it somewhere else right and and they can't use the reports as easily because they're not going to match you're not going to match and um, it's not that you can't squint your eyes and see at it but the, (laughs) the whole idea is the to have these numbers paint a picture as clear as possible. Right. So um, the more times you do a workaround or you shift things around and say, well, this is how it's going to work for us, the more you have to look at the numbers and squint your eyes to, to have it paint the picture that you want to see. Okay, here's another one for you. What about the production manager, above or below? Oh, great question again. Um I've worked with a lot of companies on this, and what I've found is I've become more flexible over time. <laughs> and the, the, the biggest determining factor is how much in-house labor they do and how much time that production manager actually ends up in the field and not how much they're supposed to end up in the field. So, again, the production manager will have be doing a certain number of tasks that he or she is doing because there's a company like sitting in a financial review, um, furthering their education, et cetera. And then they're going to be doing things because they have a job when there's a lot of in-house um, uh, project managers, carpenters, et cetera, more of that will end up above the line. The more you use the trade contractor mar- model, the less important it is to figure that labor burden uh-huh. because the, production manager ends up in the field less. Mm-hmm. So I don't don't have a hard and fast one on that. Mm-hmm. The important thing is that you understand what the rules are for that particular employee of how they track their hours. And the person in putting the data in knows where that lands. And then that becomes part of the overall labor burden that becomes predictable. Right. So in that case, I'm a little bit more flexible so long as everybody knows the rules. And again, you can get that clear picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much information inside of these reports. It's just crazy that uh, some business owners don't spend this amount of time to analyze what's going on. Because again, it just helps you know what actions you have to take to get back on track if you get off track. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, we go back to, you know, the the header of, of creating a predictable process. And w- when I interview, you know, these, these business owners and they say, yeah, they look at this and they look at that. If you look at your labor burden on a Tuesday and then the next week you look at your uh, net income and the next week you look at your work in progress, mm-hmm. um, you're only looking at the individual line items as a standalone. The real thing is that this is a puzzle mm-hmm. and it's a fuzzy puzzle. And you have to look at all the pieces all at the same time and all in reference to each other. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get look get good at that is to make it a practice that happens in the same way, you know, with the, with the same players month over month to where you bring all that into focus. Because if you just look at them independently, they don't tell you as much as when you look at them in relationship to each other, you know, right. all, the different, all the different ingredients. Well, Michael, for all the information you can ascertain from these reports, there's a couple bits of information we can't possibly get out of them. And that's why we invented the lightning round. Okay. (laughs) You ready for it? Sure, I'm ready for the lightning round. And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap! We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. What is your favorite business book and why? 
Ooh, five dysfunctions of the team. I love it for our industry because um, it's a very approachable book that uh, that is easy to understand and it breaks down just the real basics of interpersonal relationships and how a team works towards a particular goal um, and highlights some of the areas, the, the typical stumbling blocks. If you weren't helping remodelers build stronger companies, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, I'd be playing music and on a beach somewhere surfing. <laughs> what are you not very good at? Um, I am not good at multitasking whatsoever. <laughs> Hyper focus on one thing. You add two things or three things and uh, my productivity goes out the window. Your room, your desk or your car, which would you clean first? My car once a year, whether it needed it or not. <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? Um, Labor Day. <laughs> if they made a movie about your life, who would you want to play you? Um, Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the first four-letter word that comes to your mind? Team. Hey, hey good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Michael. So this has been great. Thank you so much. And I know that people, if they want to know more about the services, of course, mm -hmm. since you're part of our consulting team, they can come to us to get all your contact information. Um, and then I want you to share with our listening audience your five words of wisdom and why they resonate with you. Um, Short-term sac sacrifice for long-term gain. Um, I used to resonate with me because being a business owner, it's kind of what you have to do. You know, when you're building something, whether it be a building or a business, um, there is so many factors and so many things to learn. Um, and when I see people not have the durational patient patience to stick it out, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it be, they think that they need to you make a lot of money now and then they, they raise their prices and then they don't have work or they want to grow their business so fast that, that all of a sudden their company culture goes away. Right. Um, but if, if you can have the durational patience to break everything down and, and slow down. And even if that sacrifice is making money this year, you're investing in the time in the future. And my experience has been that, um, if you can, uh, have some delayed gratification, there's greater rewards for you down the road than trying to scrape everything out of today right, and, right. And, and take it out. Well, that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I totally agree with that philosophy. Good job on that. So, Michael, thank you so much for being here. I know that um, people will be wanting to know we're going to put some a way to get a hold of you in the show notes. And I'm sure that uh, they're lucky to have you work with them, those those of your business coaching clients. Yeah, well, and I, and I appreciate it. And I do love teaching these financials and helping people understand the game of it and the, the, the puzzle piece and, and kind mm -hmm. of taking some of the scariness away of it or the, the resistance. So. Right, right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael. We will have you on again and see you at the next roundtable meeting. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. You know, it's really fascinating when you think about it, how much information are in your financial reports and some of the things that Michael was talking about. They're just, there's just so much there. All the, the things you need to fix are there glaring at you, you know, where you should pay attention more than others. It's, there's just a ton of info in there. I, I think of it 
uh, I, I always think of stuff in movie terms, right? <laughs> so I, I think of it like the matrix, you know, because oh. <laughs> it's if until you're like you're dialed in mm-hmm. and you really get it, it's just a bunch of numbers flying through the air right. and it does doesn't make any sense. But then when all of a sudden it all clicks and you see the picture and and then all of a sudden those numbers take shape and you can see everything just like when you know neo at the end there you right. just saw everything yes. in code yes and yes. you could understand what the code was saying that's what made him stronger mm-hmm. um until you get to that point it's just a bunch of numbers that don't make sense but uh that's true and i gotta admit you know i've been doing this a long time now and it took me a, a couple of years to really get to where I could read that story and yeah. and and understand those recipes. Um, so it's pretty fascinating stuff. And yet, you know, still we know that when somebody comes to join us in roundtables or consulting client or whatever, oftentimes the mechanics that Michael was talking about right at the beginning aren't set up properly. So that's where we start our focus too. All the way through our company, we start with the mechanics, making sure the chart of accounts and all that stuff is clear and working before we even get to the data. Yeah, what do we say? Garbage in, garbage out, right? That's right. So if you don't have reliable numbers, the story isn't going to make any sense anyway. Exactly. Well, that was very interesting. I'm shocked that they haven't made an action movie out of this topic yet. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, like I said, Neo, you know, you can make make it happen. Anyway, we want to thank Michael for sharing his, uh, his wisdom with us today. And of course, we want to thank you for listening week in and week out. I'm Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. See you next time. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.